Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Lagrano. And my name is Jess Rubenstein, and I thank you for joining us for episode 54. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. There are only a handful of NHL regular season games left in the season, but Bet Online is offering you the chance to win some money while you watch. Because Bet Online has lines, spreads, and props on every game this season, so you never have to worry about missing out on the action. But whether it's the NHL, international hockey, or any other sport, Bet Online has you covered. So head on over to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. This is Believe in Hockey Prospects, the show all about discussing the future stars in the game of hockey. We believe in the future. Do you believe? This week, we'll be joined by the draft analyst Steve Corianos to discuss the Under-18 World Championships. But first... The University of Alabama Huntsville hockey program has been suspended for the upcoming season due to lack of conference affiliation. It was announced on Wednesday that the Chargers failed to meet their May deadline to find a new home and will be suspending operations until they are able to do so. Michael Napier of UAHHockey.com reported that Alabama Huntsville's proposal to join the CCHA conference was declined and they plan to meet with Atlantic Hockey this coming June. So Jess, while the Alabama Huntsville hockey program isn't quite dead yet, Keyword, suspended, not discontinued. There will be no Charger hockey this coming year. So what do you think of the progress UAH has made since last year? And do you think there's a chance for them to actually return? You know, I think they don't want them back. They don't want them to return because they are so far away from everybody else when it comes to transportation that it's really hard for you to get on a bus ride down there, play a game, spend the night, play another game, and go back. It's expensive. I'll call it discrimination because that school has been, excuse my French, has been poo-pooed on for so long by the supposed major conferences. But if you wanted to fill in your schedule and you wanted somebody who you could beat up on, Oh, you had no problem inviting UAH to your school to play at your place. But those guys worked really, really hard to get the program back. And, you know, maybe this, I think UAH needs to take a good hard look at, at the Atlantic Hockey Conference and see if they'll add them. Well, Adam Wodon said this last time he came on our show when we were talking about the possibility of an expansion. It's hard to think about adding more teams when we're already struggling to find a spot for an established one. I mean, I was very excited when the Chargers were able to fundraise last summer and have their program live to fight another day, but it looks like Adam was right. They were really just trying to keep themselves on life support. And the Chargers go give the CCAHA a run, and it makes sense for them to give it a try, but just... I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but it almost felt like the reason for transitioning to the CCHA from the WCHA was to kind of cut the quote-unquote dead weight, and part of that was Alabama-Huntsville. I feel like they really viewed the Alaska schools and the Chargers as lesser than them, so instead of kicking them out, they said, you can do whatever you want, we're just going to move on without you. 
I think Atlantic hockey might be able to work. Atlantic hockey is typically considered lower level hockey compared to the rest of the D1 schools. But just this past year, teams like AIC, Army, Robert Morris, they showed that there's competitive hockey in that conference. And location, like you said, I think it's a big reason not to play. I guess if Air Force can make it work, the Chargers can make it work. It's a shorter ride from Alabama to the tri-state area than Colorado. And on top of that... Michael Napier said in that article that UAH is offering $25,000 per series for each team that travels down to Huntsville over 10 years. So I wouldn't call it impossible by any means. We'll have to wait until June to see if Charger hockey will be a thing of the future. I'm a big fan of the Chargers. Go back to 2005 for me, and you see that they're always on life support. The other leagues make it really hard for players to go down there. And yeah, we got to admit, not being a winner, you know, they don't get the best quality players down there. And so it's really hard to get them a program. What I really think they need to do is forget hockey right now, possibly even drop down to Division Two or even uh, club status. Do what Arizona State did or, or St. Thomas where they built the interest back from the ground up. When we come into the next season, we're looking at Arizona State as an independent, Long Island University as an independent, and St. Thomas. There's going to be really three new schools by the time next season shows up. The haves need to remember that without the have-nots, they don't have a program. But something to think about, Jess, we don't have official word yet, but... Rumor has it in the coming weeks, Lindenwood University is going to be adding a hockey team to the D1 level. So we've got three schools, Arizona State, LIU, Alabama, Huntsville, all looking for a spot already in the conference. We're adding another team onto that. How much more stressful does that make this process? Oh, I think it makes it really stressful. I mean, God, heaven knows if, you know, say Oregon or Washington State say, hey, we'd like to do this. Because they both have really good club programs in college. Both have the money to add teams or add the sport. And, you know, like University of Oregon, where I used to live, they have an ice plant in Matthew Knight Arena. They don't need to do much to put together a hockey program. They get They call up Uncle Phil and the Nike money starts pouring in. So, boom, they're in business. They got the money. Uh, Washington State, they have really good club program as well. If you really want to be a pain in the butt about it, we could see hockey expand a whole lot over the next five years. Absolutely. And it's crazy to think that Arizona State is as good as it is and still doesn't have a conference. But St. Thomas has not even played a game yet, and they're somehow already thrust into the CCHA with some really high-level teams. But I think you bring up a good point there, Jess. If hockey continues to expand at the D1 level, maybe this becomes easier. Right now, it seems it doesn't make any sense that it would be an easier thing. You know, add more teams. You only have six conferences. Where are you going to fit everyone? But with Different schools popping up in different geographical locations. We've got this new school, Lindenwood, coming to Missouri. We've got Alabama, Huntsville, obviously, clearly in Alabama. It could work. It really could. I see Linwood as most likely somebody for the National Hockey Conference. They're right up there. It's easy to get to Wisconsin or the Dakotas. So, you know, their bus rides away. It's close enough for them. They'll be closer to a national fit. Either that or the CCHA, they'll wind up with a bigger conference. 
and the more the merrier. Bottom line's got to be the more hockey we see, the better schools are. You know, with this transfer rule coming in, a lot of people will be willing. A lot of good players might say, I want to get playing time at some place. So they'll look at some of these younger and newer schools. Coming up, we'll be talking about the U18 World Championships. But before we do that real quick, Jess, the WHL season has wrapped up and the WHL awards are coming up very soon. But I know that's right in your neck of the woods. That's your bread and butter. Give us the scoop. Shortened season, a lot of mishaps with the BC division. How did you think the season went? I'm going to give the WHL a lot of credit. What could have been what I call a a Charlie Foxtrot, and yeah, you got to be military to translate that. It actually was pretty smooth. The hockey wasn't as bad. I saw some really good players. I felt really comfortable watching watching the hockey. The WHL definitely had a good season. It's a shame that they didn't get the fans in. They missed out on some great hockey. They missed out on players like Peyton Krebs, led the WHL with 43 points in 24 games. He was 13-30-43 a Vegas draft pick in the first round. So, you know, there's going to be some really good players coming out of this league. There's a 15-year-old wonder kid who we'll talk more about at the under-18, Connor Bedard. The kid was Superman. I mean, every time he turned around, you saw this kid everywhere. He did such a wonderful job. There's no playoffs, so congratulations to the Everett Silvertips, the winners of the U.S. Division, the Kamloops Blazers, the British Columbia Division. Over in the Eastern Conference, Edmonton Oil Kings won the Central Division. And finally, in the East Division, Brandon Wheat Kings, 18-4-2, were the winners of the East Division. Congratulations to all four teams. It would have been a great playoffs if we had one. Division champs, congratulations. So now we're joined by one of my favorite people in the hockey world, the draft analyst himself, Steve Coriano. Steve, how you doing? Good, good. Busy, busy, but glad you guys uh, took the time out to invite me on. And it was a pretty crazy week uh, with the Rangers, too. So uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. Let's start with the under-18s. What do you think? I think that the fact that I got to see Matt Vay, Mitchkov, and Connor Bedard uh, live, you know, up close in person for the first time made the whole thing worthwhile. The quality of play wasn't that great. The, the, the amount of pressure, you could tell that a lot of these kids felt the pressure of not playing, especially the, you know, the Ontario league kids, you know, team USA just didn't have it at all from start to finish. I, I they had maybe like one good period. And that, this is usually a tournament that they dominate. You know, they didn't have relegation. You know, they had the Latvians there. They were clearly overmatched. The Germans were there clearly overmatched. You know, from a draft standpoint, I, I watch all the kids in league play. Before the tournament, I, I watched all of them in their league games, whether it be a year ago or this year. And I didn't want to let anything impact the tournament, how I viewed the kids. Because remember, like this is a best-on-best best tournament, and you're not going to be playing 72 to 80 games a year against all-star teams, right? Uh, you're going to have the same coach and the same teammates, the same front office, the same staff. And so – you know, that's why when I see people say, oh, he's going to be a riser, he's going to be a first round pick because of this tournament. No, you really shouldn't do that uh, because I think the way that they play in their league and the playoff uh, within that type of system or any system really that they have uh, is more important. So 
overall, the quality of playing the tournament was not the best. The venue, it was incredibly expensive. They price gouge on tickets, on parking, on everything. Uh, and so maybe that that maybe that's par for the course with IIHF events. I don't know, but it is. I've been wanting to ask somebody else this question. I got to see Connor Bedard playing in the WHL. I have to ask what you thought of this young man. I'm in love with this kid. You know, what's funny about him is he's not that big, at least yet. And, you know, you look at him on the ice sometimes when it's a shift. I wouldn't say he's going through the motions, but he's paying attention and he's active, but he's not like jittery or energetic. He's just kind of like not even really keeping his feet moving all that much. And then, bam, he's gone. So my first few notes on him watching him play in the WHL was like, Speed looks uh, above average to very good, but not like elite Connor McDavid like. And then it, watching the tournament, forget it. I'm mean, seeing it live. It really was a big difference, especially that that goal he scored against Russia, where there was just no chance. There was no that like there was just no chance. Like the goalie didn't have a chance. The defense didn't have a chance. He just has that uh, really quick, uh, deceptive first step. But the the thing that stood out to me the most was his vision. Yeah, he's got the shot. He's got the he's got the, all that all the puck skills, whatever. But the vision, the passes that he makes in traffic, I, I don't even remember Mc, McDavid doing that with Erie, and I watched Erie a ton. The timing of everything that he makes in tight spaces is phenomenal. Worth the price of admission, definitely. Remember, he's only fifteen. Crazy. It's been a rough year for this young man. When his WHL season was ending, and right before this tournament. He lost his grandmother and he was really close to her. And yet only if you knew you could tell because nothing phases this kid. It's kind of scary. He's almost robotic, but when he comes alive, watch out. Passes on his backhand across the seam. Uh, everything that he really did with the puck. I mean, and, and yeah, the, the stats back it up, but there's really no way to marginalize anything that this kid did 10 days he was there whatever it was because it was fantastic and Mitch Kov was another kid because I watched him all the time in Russia and I'm like well you know Scott 46 deep team you look at his goal number totals it's kind of like a Cy Young type deal where almost a, a double more than double the amount of goals and assists but he showed me a lot more a lot more in the balance department the agility department every pass that he made also in traffic not really as a leader playmaker as Bedard is I think Every shot this kid takes, there's no angle. There's no way a goalie can stop this kid. Any, no matter what angle you're playing, he's going to find that little tiny opening. And I was really blown away. And uh, I didn't want to take anything for granted. When they were on the ice, I, I put my phone down. I enjoyed every second uh, I got a chance to watch them. There were the games that I did watch of Russia. I was like, where did this kid come from? There are Russian players, and then there are Russian players. And I put this kid in that, then there are Russian players. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for him to come across. I want to see what he does with the NHL players because this is a very talented young man who still in many ways is a mystery. You know, you don't want to put too much pressure on these kids. God knows you. he comes over and boom, he becomes a bust. But he's got all the things that say, I'm going to come over and be a star. Yeah, absolutely. The, the fact that he just scores at will, 
at any level, whether it was the Youth Olympic Games or it's the the, the MHL, you know, the, the word around the campfire is that, you know, his family isn't very well off. Like he actually comes from like a humble background. And so that he signed that deal with Scott to stay with them for a couple of years. So I, I think we might have a situation where he might have to buy out his contract, whatever's remaining on it, to come over. But remember, he can't make more than what is it, nine nine hundred twenty-five thousand, or you know, whatever is not first contract. Yeah. So uh, I, I, we might have a first here where you have a a first overall pick, and I'm not saying he is because of of course Bedard. But you have a situation where he might he might not be in the NHL right away. He, and it's it's good for Russian hockey because they get a chance to keep him there. So they really need him because their under 20 team wasn't all that good. Well, this team, this U18 team is is great. Legit. A ton of skill. They gave Canada problems, but you know, I think in the, in the end, the better team won. Let's move on to the NHL. I, for one, I'm one of those who want to see the draft postponed. I want to know your thoughts. Well, I, I haven't had a, a, a week off since uh, like a week or two after the 2019 draft. So I'm saying if you want to postpone it, fine. But there's just too many variables involved. It, it was understandable uh, for what the European leagues did. You can't blame the European leagues for starting their seasons while the freaking 2020 draft was going on. And when that happened, I'm like, oh, great. Like, so now you have kids playing while the, the draft process for 2020 was still ongoing. I felt that maybe it would have been better off if somehow the powers that be got together and said, hey, it's really doing it for the kids, not for the league or for money or anything else. You're doing it for the kids and their development and their parents and the hard work that they put in. But listen, I I'm going to be honest with you. Ontario dropped the ball. They, they had 8 million different models that they could have followed where they could have played. They could have created a bubble. They could have made some type of environment. I mean, how could you say that we're, we're not going to allow these kids to play? And oh, by the way, the Maple Leafs can play and the Ottawa Senators can play in Ontario, but these kids can't. Well, it always goes back to money. And uh, so I thought it was very unfair. Uh, and so in that regard, I thought that maybe postponing it would have been fine. But by, by the time they even were talking about it, you already had half the leagues uh, playing, uh, playing games. So how are you preparing for the NHL draft? I mean, if you don't have guys on that played in the O this year, you only have 24 games from the W. The BCHL was on and off, and the AJHL. I mean, all these little in junior A leagues, you know, some of them played, some of them canceled operations. Quietly, the USHL played all season. Yeah, it was good hockey, too. It's been good hockey. How does a draft analyst put together his draft preview for 2021 it's going to be very anti-ohl and I, I have to only go by what i saw from the top kids the kids that went to europe i watched three to five games to me because remember i'm not my livelihood it does not depend on whether these kids become stars or not you know i'm not a scout i'm, I'm just a guy that that gives people information on what these kids could do what uh you know what their roles were I think they, they might project to uh, go so uh, or become so I could really just I could watch three games. And to me, I think that's enough. I'll watch a game against a good team, game against a bad team, maybe watch a playoff game, space out a little bit, because if the kids, let's say, under the weather or has like a funk uh, is in a little bit of a funk. I don't want to use that. Uh, so three to five games is enough for me. Uh, unfortunately, for the OHL kids, I had to go back and watch old footage. And a lot of the old footage you can't even find anymore because it's not archived. And so it is what it is. In my opinion, the, the OHL has always been a little bit overrated anyway. 
uh, in terms of the draft because of it's the biggest development league in, in, in hockey. Or it used to be at least. I think in the last each of the last two years, the USHL has out, out drafted them. And this wasn't supposed to be a very good crop for OHL anyway. Last year was the elite crop. This year, you, all the kids that were elite, we saw them play. We saw them play in Europe to stay active. So uh, in this tournament in particular, uh, but to answer your question, very difficult, very, very difficult. And, uh, and to, to make, uh, you know, kind of like a compounding uh, issues is the fact that there's no consensus, number one, to, to kind of like uh, evaluate off of and say, well, this is what elite looks like. This is what near elite looks like. It, it, it's basically, you know, you can't go wrong with anybody from one to 15, really. It's that, it's that kind of a year. So, Steve, I want to ask you a couple questions. I saw on Twitter a couple days ago, you're at this tournament. You said you weren't really feeling it, and you might even throw it out, evaluating some of the kids. Now that you're home a couple days, you've gotten to think it over a little bit. Do you still feel that way? I was really disappointed the way a lot of these top players played because I watched a lot of them play in league play. And it seems like when they got to the U18 tournament, the selfishness kind of ramped up a little bit where they were doing things that they were not doing during league play within the structure of a team with a coach that might yell at them and bench them. Uh, I, I did not like the fact that almost every single coach for the most part kept the same defense pairings, almost the entire tournament where you had defense pairings that were clearly struggling in the beginning. They, they were, uh, there was no chemistry. The Anton Olsen, Victor Scholholm was one of them. Even the, the Schmidt, Barron's pairing on Team USA, they've been partners all year. They just, things weren't working. And, and a short tournament, the coaches like throw them out there, throw them out there. I don't like that. I think the, the whole point is to win, not to showcase prospects. It's to win and, you know, win the gold medal, represent your country. And, uh, and I, I just never really got that vibe outside, of course, Canada. Uh, and maybe Finland and a little bit of Russia. Last draft, we see a ton of Russian influence because of the KHL. They're still playing. The draft comes up. A lot of Russian kids get taken a lot earlier than people expect. Obviously, a ton of Canadians are going to go. Do you expect any other country to have a big influence in this draft like there was last year? USA. Yeah, America, because of the, the because of the USHL, it's, it's a really good year for the USHL. Pretty decent year for high school hockey. I don't think it was good as last year. But uh, you're also going to have a, a pretty pretty good, I think, Finnish contingent. Uh, Sweden, listen, uh, the, the Swedes, uh, they were, I mean, I know that they got they won the bronze, but they, they had a real up and down tournament. And they just kind of decided to turn it on when they faced the, the Finns uh, in the bronze medal game. But uh, I think you'll see a lot of Swedes get, usually it goes, you know, Canadian Major Junior, then uh, the American Circuits combined, then TDP USHL High School, then you'll have Sweden. Then you'll have Russia and then Finland. So I don't really see that changing all that much, but it, it is a very deep Russian crop this year, not in the elite sense, but uh, you know, again, you're going to have four or five guys that could challenge for the first round, decent draft in terms of goaltending, decent draft in terms of defensemen and wings, not, not, not all that great in center, but again, it, it, very difficult draft for me to assess from top to bottom, just because so many kids had you know, average season, they didn't produce the way they were expected to. If they produced, it was during garbage time and they kind of vanished when the games matted. It's, it's just like I said, uh, first time I might have to just go off of stats and say, this guy had 50 points. This guy had 45. I'm going to go with the 50 point guy because it's been so many things that half the kids that we've been watching all year aren't U18. They're, they're U19 because they're late birthdays. So they couldn't even play in this tournament, but they played at the world junior tournament. And at the World Junior Tournament, most of them barely even played. No CHL top prospects game. I mean, I could go on and on 
uh, to, to give you reasons why this easily is the most perplexing draft class I've ever covered since I've been doing this. And maybe even in NHL history. I mean, this is it's crazy. And we also know that Vancouver still has got a long way to go to affect the draft order, but we do know that the top three are locked in. It's Buffalo, Anaheim, and Seattle. Last I checked, the top three is projected to go Owen Power, Matty Beneers, and then Luke Hughes. How possible is it that we see someone who played in this past tournament sneak up into the top three? Absolutely. I mean, listen, uh, Dylan Gunther is a guy that's on Bob. Bob McKenzie's rankings has agents and and, uh, NHL front office types uh, as sources. So uh, usually the reason why his rankings look the most like the way the draft ends up is because teams will reveal to him what their draft boards look like. Not all teams, but some teams do. Uh, So usually what Bob McKenzie says is how the NHL scouting community feels. Uh, And so with his last rankings, he had, I think, power number one, unanimous 10 out of 10. And then he had Edmondson and Dylan Gunther both tied at second. Now, I disagree with that vehemently, but he has them tied for numbers two. And those two players were at the tournament and neither player had that great of a tournament. Edmondson, I think, was better towards the end. Gunther was not. Uh, as dominant as we would have liked to see a potential number one overall pick uh, play. You know, to answer your question, I mean, yeah, you could see Benia's power and, and Hughes go one, two, three. Yeah, you could also see uh, William Eklund, uh, Edvinson, and Gunther go one, two, and three. I, like I said, I, I just have no idea. I create these things called draft resumes. It's actually a literal resume. It's a, it's a, it's a file that I make on each player, and I look at all the superlatives. I look at the skill sets. I look at the statistical comparisons, where they ranked in their team, where they ranked in the league, uh, you know, what their draft pedigree was during their Bantam or priority draft, uh, you know, as, uh, uh, during their younger days. So basically, I'll sum it up real quick, real simply. It's not a good year to be the worst team in the league. And if you don't win, the, if you don't win the draft lottery, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I don't think people are going to be looking back like, oh, the league screwed us out of the next McDavid or the next Crosby or the next Bedard or Mitch Cobb. I mean, it's that kind of a year. So, Stevie, thank you. Yeah, Steve, where do the people at home find you? Tell us. Yeah, the draftanalyst.com is uh, my draft blog. I also got an NHL section on there, two prospect sections. So, I talk kind of like about everything. Uh, also, uh, podcast is the Draft Analyst Podcast. You can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, social media at the Draft Analyst, mostly on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. My YouTube channel is Prospect Film Room. If you want like highlight packages of all the, uh, the draft prospects coming up. So we have busy, 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 a lot of stuff going on. You coming out with the draft guide? You know it every year. Yeah. It's going to be bigger than the last one. <laughs> Just more than Can't wait, Steve. Thank you again so much for coming on. We absolutely adore having you. We'll bring it back on so we can argue with it. <laughs> no, no problem. Anytime guys. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Prospect Park for Jess, at Luke Legrano for myself. If you like this episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jess Rubenstein. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.